0: So I got some new lawn equipment this past week. And as Judah and I excitedly opened the box, I started handing him different pieces. I said, here's an important piece, here's one, here's a piece of cardboard. And then I said, here's the user manual. We don't need that. And I tossed it to the side. That's when Casey came and picked it up and told me that she'd hold on to it for when I needed it in 10 minutes. Well, now I knew that I had to prove her wrong. And technically, technically I did, but that's because it was only five minutes later when I needed to borrow that user manual to finish setting up the equipment. seems that my wife knows me pretty well. It also seems that manuals like that are pretty important and helpful, especially when I'm standing there asking, why isn't this working? Why don't these pieces fit together? Why did they give me so many extra screws in the box? And, you know, when it comes to the Bible, I love asking questions, especially the question, why? I love asking the question, why? We know that the Bible is God's authoritative word handed down to us, which means that it is the blueprint, the guide, the manual for how we ought to live our lives. Since it was given to us by God, that means that every single word in it is important for us. There are no fillers, there's no unnecessary parts, but sometimes we might feel that way about certain parts of the Bible. So when I come to a truth or a passage that seems confusing or out of place, I love to ask, why? Uh, Why does God have this here? Why is it something I should apply to my life? Why does it matter for me? After all, he put it there for a reason. It's good to ask the question, why, believers, when we read the Bible? Not in a spirit of doubt, but in a desire to know God more, to understand his word better and to better apply his word to our lives. So we're going to start a new sermon series together to finish out our year, and it is called Why It Matters, Why It Matters. We're going to go through some truths, some topics that might be familiar to us, uh, things that we might know are in the Bible, but we don't know why they're in the Bible. We don't know why they're important for the church, how we ought to apply them, or why they are something that should matter in our lives. But we're going to talk about things like heaven, hell, baptism, giving, And so much more. But this morning, we're going to start with something that I'm sure many of us know is in the Bible. Something that we do here at church, but that we might not grasp the importance of. This morning, as we turn together to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we are going to talk about why the Lord's Supper matters in our lives. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As always, if you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the chairs in front of you. Again, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 11. Now, as you turn there, let's understand a few things about the Lord's Supper, or, as we often refer to it, communion. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper when he was celebrating Passover with his disciples on the night that he was going to be betrayed. There's a reason Jesus instituted this when they were celebrating Passover, So let's remember what Passover was about. When the Israelites were still enslaved in the land of Egypt, this is something we can find back in the book of Exodus, when they were enslaved there, God displayed his power through numerous plagues. And in the final plague, the Israelites were each commanded to slaughter a lamb and put its blood on the doorframe of their houses. That night, the firstborn was struck down in every house that did not have blood on the doorframe, while the houses that did were passed over. Passover, over, Passover. All right? After this final plague, Pharaoh set the Israelites free. So Passover is celebrated annually to remember God's power in delivering Israel from slavery in Egypt. But here's the thing. Oh, that was just a shadow. Just a foretaste of something much greater that was going to come. And that greater thing, the greater deliverance, the greater sacrifice came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sins, so that whoever believes in him would be delivered from the bondage to sin and the penalty of hell. That's a greater deliverance. Passover is celebrated with things like bread made without yeast, which symbolized the haste with which the Israelites left Egypt. At communion, we take the bread and the cup, which symbolize our Lord's sacrifice for us. And the bread represents his body, which was tortured and hung on the cross. And the cup represents his blood, which was shed so that our sins could be forgiven. But let's not be confused by these symbols that the Lord used in the Lord's Supper. And that is what these are. They are symbols. Many times Jesus used metaphors and figures of speech to convey spiritual truths. Like when he said in John chapter 10, he said, I'm the gate for the sheep. Or in John chapter 15, he said, I'm the true vine. Similarly, he said of the bread, this is my body. He said of the cup, this is my blood of the covenant. Jesus was talking about his crucifixion, which was about to happen. But these weren't his real flesh and blood. Jesus was standing right there with him when he said these things. He hadn't yet sacrificed himself on the cross, although this was coming. The disciples may not have understood the significance of these symbols, but on that very night, at the very least, I believe they understood that that is what the cup and the bread were. They were symbols. I don't want us to lose sight of that when we take communion, what these symbols, the bread and the cup, represent. But why do we still take the Lord's Supper? And why does it matter for us? We're going to look at some of these whys together. But first, Paul sets the stage for this conversation about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 17. And as we look at that, I believe it will set the stage for us to evaluate our own hearts this morning. So let's look at verse 17. Paul said to them, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. All right, let's stop right here for a minute. Like I said, Paul's setting the stage. You see, the church in Corinth, like all churches in its day and all churches today, wasn't a perfect church. But there were some serious problems going on there. One of those problems came when they took the Lord's Supper together. It was common in the early church for believers to gather together and have what was called a love feast, which would often conclude with them taking communion or Lord's Supper together. Now, from what we can gather about these love feasts, what they would do is the believers would bring food as they were able and share a meal with one another. So here you go, my Baptist friends. Potluck's in the Bible. It's right there. But you see, these once joyous love feasts that ended in worship with the Lord's Supper had turned into loveless, divisive, spiritually embarrassing events. And not only was this a poor testimony to those outside the church, but it was hurting those within the church. People were splitting off into their own little cliques. Well, there goes the fellowship. But not only that, those who are wealthy enough to bring bread, food, and drinks, they were keeping all those things within their cliques. And those poorer members who couldn't bring anything, well, they were left hungry. There goes the love. Finally, when the time came for the Lord's Supper to be taken, you had these hungry believers feeling rejected by others, and then you had the overindulgent believers who were only thinking of themselves. Does this sound like Unified worship? Does this sound like a God-honoring remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus? Of course not. I mean, one of the words that we use for the Lord's Supper is communion. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. He said, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? That word communion is also translated as sharing or participation in these things. In other words, at the Lord's Supper, we draw near to our Savior alongside our fellow Christians. It's because of the sacrifice of Jesus that we've been brought into fellowship with him and now into fellowship with one another. And the Lord's Supper celebrates these things But it's hard to have that fellowship, that communion with believers and the Lord when there's division among us. You see, the Corinthians weren't taking the Lord's Supper as seriously as they should. And the truth is, I think it's very easy to judge them for it. After all, they were overindulgent. They were selfish. And that resulted in poor fellowship, the improper taking of the Lord's Supper together. And it's very easy for us to say, well, that's not true of us. We don't do these things, but when we approach the Lord's Supper, we might not be coming as overindulgent, gluttonous, drunkards. But do we take it seriously? It feels to me that many times as Christians we approach the Lord's Supper with an attitude of obligation. Uh, we kind of approach it and breeze past it, like a, like a dentist appointment that we go to because it's on the calendar. But we don't really want to go. We wouldn't be heartbroken if we skipped it. Is that how we approach the Lord's Supper? See, they didn't take it seriously, but do we? Now that we see the situation there in Corinth, I pray that we would evaluate the situation in our own hearts as we prepare later this morning to take communion. But now let's go ahead and let's answer why it is that we take the Lord's Supper. Look at verse 23. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All right, keep your place right there in chapter 11. Let's just talk about the first why. Why should we take the Lord's Supper together? And the answer is very simply because Jesus commanded it. Two times Jesus said, do this, do this. Whenever Jesus tells us to do something, we should do it. In fact, that should be the only reason we need to live in obedience to any command in Scripture. God said it, and as his people, we should follow and we should obey. This is why we take the Lord's Supper. It should be the only reason that we need. Don't take the Lord's Supper because, well, the time has come. It's that time of the quarter here at First Baptist Church of Oxford. It's time to check off the box and take communion. That's not why we take it. Don't take the Lord's Supper because the time has come, but because God commanded it. And it should be a joy for us to follow his commands. You know, as kids, we all had those moments when our parents told us something, told us to do something, and we said, why? To which they replied, because I said so. Some of you have already beaten me to that. That's good. You were ready. And you know, it's true that when God says something, we ought to just do it. But something that I really love, I love, that when we are attentive to God's word, when we pour into it, we will find that he gives us many answers to why we should follow his commands. He gives us many of the reasons for them. And Sometimes the reasons for his commands are so that we won't get hurt. Sometimes it's because our obedience brings him glory. Sometimes it's because our obedience results in a blessing. There are many reasons for his commands. And we're going to look at three reasons why it matters that we obey in taking the Lord's Supper. The first one is this. Jesus said two times, do this in remembrance of me. We take the Lord's Supper to remember what Jesus did for us. So the Jews partake of the Passover each year to remember how God delivered their ancestors from Egypt. Christians partake of the Lord's Supper to remember how God has delivered each of us personally from slavery to sin and the penalty of hell. Because Jesus gave up his body to be nailed to a cross and his blood to be shed for our sins, we were able to enter into this free and full salvation through faith. No wonder why Paul referred to Jesus in chapter 5 of this letter to the Corinthians as our Passover Lamb. Passover is celebrated once a year. The Lord's Supper should be celebrated far more often than that because it was such a great deliverance and sacrifice, so much greater than that of Passover. And we always need to remember this. As you read through the Old Testament, you'll notice that many times God's people were setting up these tabernacles, these monuments after an event. Why'd they do that? One of the reasons is so that they and their descendants would always remember what God had done for them. Because there's something that tends to be true about us as humans, and that's that we tend to be forgetful. We tend to be forgetful. And we don't want to be forgetful when it comes to the sacrifice of Jesus. When I say that, I don't mean that one day we'll wake up and fail to remember that Jesus died for us. Although perhaps for some people that's true. What I mean is that sometimes the sacrifice of Jesus is no longer at the forefront of our minds. We don't praise him for it as often as we should. We don't let it affect how we live. We allow it to fall to the back of our minds. But the death and resurrection of Jesus should change everything about how we live. It should always be on our minds, and communion, the Lord's Supper, helps us remember that. The second reason why our obedience matters is because in taking the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we remember the Lord's sacrifice, we look forward to that day when he returns for us, believers. Not only does our faithfulness to communion proclaim this truth to one another, but to the world as well. You see, we can be divided, selfish, overindulgent, like those in Corinth, who gave the world the opportunity to look at them and say, they're no different than us. In fact, they're much more unruly than us. Or we can steadfastly follow and obey our Lord. And though the world may ridicule us for it, they won't be able to ignore our testimony. The Lord's Supper matters, Church it matters so that it would always be on our mind what the Lord did it matters, so that we would always maintain a good testimony in the world as we proclaim His death. And let's see one more reason why our obedience matters. Verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather together to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who's hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. The third reason why I want us to understand that the Lord's Supper should matter to us is because it matters to God. That's the reason why God didn't turn a blind eye to the way the Corinthians went about this. Their actions were sinful, and God will always discipline his people when we sin. He commanded us to take communion. He desires people to faithfully do so in unity and with pure hearts. But they weren't doing that in Corinth. All right, they were being gluttonous, drunkards, selfish towards one another, divisive, unloving. And then they tried to come and take the Lord's Supper as though that would please God. But remember... During his earthly ministry, Jesus went into the temple and he overturned the tables in there. Because even though there was a lot of religion being practiced, the hearts of the people were in the wrong place. God's not looking for his people to check off a box and move through the motions. He wants his people to draw near to him in loving obedience together. The Corinthians, they were taking communion. They might have even said, we're being obedient, but they weren't doing it the right way. And because of that, they were facing God's discipline. They were getting sick. Some of them had even, as Paul put it, fallen asleep, which is that they had died. Our punishment, believers, comes from God during this life. His discipline does. Because when human history is over, the punishment that's left is for the world of unbelievers. We receive his discipline now. And in the case of the Corinthians, that discipline was that many of them lost their lives. That meant that they had no more opportunity to live for the Lord, to bring Him glory and to share the gospel. This sin is serious in God's sight. So Paul tells the ones who are left, tells them to examine their hearts. He says to recognize and discern what it is that they're doing. Remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, proclaiming His death, and to do it in a worthy manner. Because when we come to the Lord's Supper with unconfessed sin, When we come knowing that we are at odds with our family in Christ, that we have been divisive, when we come focusing only on ourselves, that means that we are coming in an unworthy manner. Paul wasn't saying to wait until you're perfect to take communion. If that's what he meant, none of us would ever take communion. But what he's saying is that before you come, you need to examine your heart. Maybe some of us here realize that we have unconfessed sin this morning. We need to seek the Lord's forgiveness. We know that we've been at odds with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We've been divisive. We know that the Holy Spirit is convicting us in some way. And I pray that if that is true for any of us, we would take care of these things before we take communion. Or that we wouldn't take communion until we've addressed these things. Because God cares that we obey Him in joyful obedience. We're not checking off a box here. As a kid... I always remember when we were at church, my parents would take the bread and the cup and then they would close their eyes. I always thought it was so strange they rested their eyes during that time. It took me a while to realize, really wasn't until I got older that I I realized they weren't falling asleep or getting bored, waiting for the pastor to say, take and eat. I started to realize that they were praying, preparing their hearts, examining themselves. This is a lesson for us to learn from the Corinthians. They needed to examine their hearts and take the Lord's Supper in the right way. And so do we. Believers, we take the Lord's Supper because Jesus commanded it. And the reasons why it matters that we take the Lord's Supper are also because through it we remember, we keep at the forefront of our minds what Jesus Christ did for us. Not only that, but as we do this alongside one another, we proclaim his death. Until he returns for his people. Our incredible God and Savior desires that we would do this alongside each other with pure hearts, with unity among the body of believers. I mean, if it matters this much to God, it should matter to us. There are a lot of truths that I hope you walk away from, from First Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. I hope this is one of them. Remember this truth, believers. The Lord's Supper keeps the sacrifice of Jesus at the forefront of our minds and the focus of our testimony. That's one of the reasons it is so important. The Lord's Supper keeps the sacrifice of Jesus at the forefront of our minds and the focus of our testimony. You see, when we shrug off the Lord's Supper, and we stop caring about it, when we treat it with disdain, eventually we're going to start to treat the sacrifice of Jesus the same way. Then we're going to lose our testimony. Instead, when we gather together to take it, we need to examine our hearts and then in joyful obedience, alongside our fellow Christians, take communion. In just a few minutes, we are going to do that together, but we're going to do it just a little differently than we normally do. So when I'm done praying, Pastor Richard's going to come and he's going to lead us in an invitation song. And believers, I'm going to encourage you to use that invitation time to prepare and examine your heart. During that time, maybe you need to close your eyes where you're standing or sitting. and You need to bring something to the Lord. Maybe you need to come up to the altar and pray alongside some fellow believers. Maybe there are believers in here that you know you need to reconcile with. Do that during the invitation song. But prepare and examine your hearts. And believers, if you are not willing to do that or if the Lord lays something on your heart but you don't want to address it, don't take communion until you have. Don't take it in an unworthy manner. But friend, if you are here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, I realize that some of this may sound strange. So if that's you, the truth that I hope you will lean into this morning and walk away with is this. Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, he said, this is my body which is... For you. And that applies to you too. Jesus gave himself up for you. Because we are all hopelessly lost in our sins. We're separated from God. And the just punishment for our sin is that we will be separated from God forever in hell when this life ends. But in his overwhelming love for us, Jesus Christ came to this earth. And as the perfect, sinless son of God, he was able to take our place and our punishment when he died on the cross. That's what he was doing. He took all the wrath that we deserve. After he died, he was buried, and then three days later, powerfully rose from the dead, proving that he is the son of God and the Savior. And understand, friend, if you have never given him your life, that right now you are separated from God, but understand that he has been waiting for you to come to him in faith your whole life. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I hope that if you never have, that you will make that decision today. You can come forward and talk to me during the invitation time if you would like. You can give your life to Jesus Christ right where you are sitting. And then we'd invite you to take communion with us. But don't give your life to Jesus to take communion. Give your life to Jesus because he's the only one who can give you eternal life.